everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, or come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Bautzazor. And today, we actually have quite a bit of news on just about every single front. From football recruiting to a new basketball coach to baseball recruiting and even more Bat-Cats going into the major leagues. And, of course, the always beloved wacky segment of the week. So let's just dive straight into it, starting off with football recruiting, brought to you by the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Neon Alley Cats, Doom Tank Clan, and Play Sandstorm Cowards. Please be sure to check it in our Twitter bio. But K-State has three new commits to the football team, all on the defensive side of the ball, and one approximately happening, what, six-ish hours ago from the recording of this episode. But we'll go we'll go ahead. Wow. We'll go ahead in order from the time that they committed. And the first commit in this string is defensive end slash edge player from Arizona, Ryan Davis, who is, well, I'm not going to steal the, the star ratings from you. You're the recruiting guy. That's yours. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Davis is a three-star, pretty much consensus, assuming that he's been rated everywhere. Um, 6'5", 240, uh, 84.0 composite right now on 24-7, which part of that is that I don't I, – I know I said this like two seconds ago, but I don't think he's been rated quite everywhere. Like I don't think he has a rivals ranking quite yet. Um, I doubt ESPN has rated him because ESPN – What? <laughs> they they take for – they take forever to do anything over there when they do, it's generally not even good. And, but that's not really what the point is with Ryan Davis, because you watch this film and we, Ace and I were talking about this before the episode where he like is solid on film and like has like some plays where like he really raise your eyebrows. But like, for the most part, it's like pretty solid stuff, but it's not like things that really send you over the moon, but his testing numbers are phenomenal. Uh, especially his agility and short-range burst. He has an incredible uh, first step uh, that you can see from his agility. I don't remember the exact uh, numbers for – what is the ag- uh, agility drill called? It's like three the cone. five – Yeah, three-cone. Uh, three-cone or shuttle. I think it's shuttle. Um, it, it was a phenomenal number because uh, – Four seconds is around like elite level, like for that, as I recall, right? Yeah, yeah. He was a little, a little over four, and that's at six five two forty in high school, and so that number will only be shaved down knowing what we know about K State's ability to get the absolute most athleticism out of already very athletic people. So having that level of burst and short range quickness at what will probably be defensive end or edge rusher spot yeah. is going to be invaluable. He's a, he's just, he's just an athletic freak that's being brought in to teach how to do pass rush moves, basically, which, basically. It, which to be fair, that's worked pretty well for us so far with yeah. Felix, Felix and Yudike Uzama. Although the difference is that Ryan Davis probably doesn't have as far to go from a physical development standpoint, not saying that he's going to be Felix, but I'm saying that, at least from a physical development standpoint, he is a little bit closer to being a finished product just because he's already up at 240 and will probably only 
way more by the time he gets to campus. But I, I really like Ryan Davis. Do you have anything to add about him, Ace? The main thing that I have to add with Ryan Davis is kind of exactly what you said. Whenever I was watching his film, it I saw a solid Big 12 starter, but that was kind of what I saw his upside as. And then I heard about his testing numbers. And, you know, if, if his testing numbers ever show up on tape, he's going to be a ridiculously good player. For right now, what he is, is he's a pretty solid power rushing, probably five technique at his weight can develop into a three tech. But just outside of that, he's a pretty solid player who plays defensive end in this scheme, gets up to 270 and ends up contributing as a, a regular player there at the very minimum. If he develops a few more, a little bit more technical finesse as opposed to being a, a pure power rusher, because I'm not sure if because Felix's strength is kind of what makes him the ridiculous power rusher that he is. Whereas Matt Lick's the exact opposite. He's just a finesse rusher. Who's just really crafty. If Ryan Davis can kind of be the Goldilocks between the two, he'll be a really, really good player here. And I can see that happening. I think maybe a good comp for him right now on the defense is Jalen pickle. Probably where, uh, he he fills in as the really big uh, defensive end in our scheme where, I mean, he's a, a four-man front defensive tackle, but will end up being a defensive end that could maybe slide inside a little bit yeah. down to the three-tech. But as a five-tech, yeah, he could probably live at what you said, 270, 280, and keep most, if not all, of that quickness and be a really deadly weapon uh, down the stretch. So we have, I didn't, I just realized this. It's one on every level of the defense. And if you go to the second level of the defense, we have another three-star commit in linebacker from, I believe, Hillsboro, Missouri, Austin Romaine, which amazing first name, by the way. And, you know, he's just another player that kind of fits the same mold. But again, don't want to take your thunder here. He's another person with incredible testing. Uh, if you scour his Twitter, you'll find where he scored, uh, I think, the first. Uh, sh- I think it was the highest rated shuttle um, out of like 419-ish people that attended a combine somewhere in Missouri. And it was a sub four, as I recall, which is phenomenal. Uh, testing, especially for his size at six foot two, two thirty. Um, so, because you look at his uh, his film, and his film is actually pretty good. I like his film a lot. It shows a lot of potential. Uh, something that jumped out to both of us, I think, was his ability to diagnose the run. Doesn't really show a lot of pass coverage snaps. That doesn't really seem to have been his job. He kind of fills a bit of a Daniel Green role, just being the mic. Uh, where he he's trying to figure out where the run is going, sniff out the play, and just generally have great great play recognition. But he does bring a lot of power as well. He hits a little harder than you'd think because his top speed isn't phenomenal, but he gets there pretty quickly, and you have to admire that about him. He is a, a true run-stopping linebacker as things stand, but with his athletic ceiling, he could become a lot more than that. And I think that's what the staff is going for here is somebody that right now 
on paper could be really good in space. And at the moment, based on his film, he is theoretically good in space. And he, he primarily is just being used to get through the line or follow the line uh, to the hole to stop a ball carrier. But he did show flashes of the ability to tackle in space, but it wasn't, it's clearly not what he's being asked to do at the high school level consistently. But I really like, again, uh, another upside uber athlete player. So, I mean, you know, not, not much to hate here, especially with counter limits being removed. So I, I like this ad. Yeah. To me, the main thing that stuck out with Austin Romaine is that he's a really, for being, for being a Mike linebacker, he's a remarkable blitzer, which that's not necessarily a skill set that you automatically associate with middle linebacker. Because to me, the Sam is typically the best blitzer of the three traditional linebackers. The Mike is kind of a good all-rounder slash pretty solid run defender, and the Will is your pass coverage guy. But when it comes to Austin Romaine, he really does have that that ability to play the run and also the ability to blitz, which when you put those two together, it it really is pretty similar to Daniel Green's skill set. And that Daniel Green's primary weakness is his ability to play coverage, but his biggest strength is his ability to play with his hair on fire and diagnose the run and hit people really, really hard. And I honestly think that it's possible that Daniel Green's a little faster in straight line speed. I think Austin Romaine might be a little bit more fluid in terms of just rotation, Mm -hmm. but that's because Austin, that's not a, that's not disrespect to Daniel Green. That's because Austin Romaine ran the best shuttle out of 419 people. Yeah, absolutely incredible, especially for his size. I mean, again, he's 6'2", 230-ish, and looks every bit of that 6'2", 230. And yeah, his uh, they're calling it Pro Agility 5'10'5 on here. Um, yeah, that's first out of yeah, First out of 486 at a 391, which for any position, that's great. For a linebacker... linebacker. <laughs> Out of high school, that's elite. I'm taking and, that if that's a corner. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, like, it's so weird to see that, especially given that he ran a 4840, um, which is, you know, like, not great. Like, it's not horrible, but he's somebody I think that they look at and say, if he has this great agility in short distance, there's probably a little bit more that we can juice out of that 40 with, like, improved running form, improved conditioning. Uh, just additional strength training because it right now he's not somebody that you look at on film and think that he's at the peak like like he's not in like peak shape but that's not a knock against him it's just that you know like he's probably not being asked to be like this incredibly athletic guy but he just is what he is at the moment because it's high school so but i i like him a lot and you did mention something that i forgot to mention which is his fluidity he looks very comfortable moving and that agility shows off where he does, he reaches top speed very quickly. And he, uh, um, he is really good at blitzing. I'm glad that you mentioned that as well. Cause I forgot to mention that. And he, uh, it, it, it's fun, uh, to watch him move, uh, which I think that's probably a lot of what they see. And then is that, uh, ability to, to move gracefully and fluidly, um, down the line or even in space. But uh, we'll, 
we'll hopefully get some more film on him this year. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's one of the, he's very intriguing. I don't want to call any of these guys more intriguing than the others because they all have their own intrigue about them. Yeah. And I, I will also say that the linebacking room in, say, two or three years is looking pretty good with Toby O, Jake Clifton, and Austin Romaine, even if Clifton and Romaine are probably fighting for that same spot. I'm assuming, well, I'm assuming Forsha will still be here because he's a sophomore, right? Right. Okay. So, yes. Romaine and Clifton will kind of be filling that same role, that true Mike linebacker. Unless Tobio uh, shifts from Will to Mike, you never really know. He's such a freak athlete. He could play safety. <laughs> he could. He was listed as a safety for a while on one of the recruiting sites. I think it was 24-7. I think so. But welcome to the family, Austin Romain. And finally, the commit from just earlier today in the third level, which is strangely enough called the secondary, it is RJ Lester, the defensive back from Arkansas. He's another example of the prototypical K-State corner that, well, not the prototypical K-State corner of Snyder days where he's below 5'11", but rather of the Kleiman era where he's above six foot, and extremely lanky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot to like about RJ Lester, despite I think most KSA fans, including myself, having never really heard of him until today when he committed. Um, but you look at, you take one glance at his recruiting profile and you'll notice two things. The first one is that he should probably be rated. And the second one is that he perfectly fits what this staff wants in an outside corner which, like you said, is tall and lanky. Uh, he's six foot three, 185 pounds, uh, roughly the same size as Donovan McIntosh, and who, who's a commit in this class, and also Julius Sprims, who's currently on the roster. Um, and then he also has very long arms from his highlights. Um, but he, from, from his highlights, is very physical, uh, really great boundary corner, um, a lot to like about him. Uh, another great athlete as well. Um, just seems very comfortable in coverage as well. Again, we don't know as much about him just because he's only been committed for a few hours. So we've only been able to look through his films sparingly. But on a preliminary level, there's quite a bit to like about RJ Lester. And then, of course, he's only rated by uh, on three right now as a recruiting site and but on on three he's the third rated player in the state of arkansas which is a little bit more talent rich of a state than i think some people think and uh he has a 88 grade which is a three star that's the highest three star grade that you can have so uh there's a lot to like here potential wise again this is another guy that i think that there's really like the potential um because that, that that's just kind of in the name of the game for the staff but what do you have to share about RJ Lester is. Uh, firstly, I apologize if anyone is hearing my dog snoring. Uh, that would that would be Chunk, and he is very tired right now. But in terms of RJ Lester, what I kind of see in his game is now. Keep in mind, he's a high schooler, so I kind of see the style of Julius Brents without any of the technical finesse that Brents has, which is fine because he's a high schooler, <laughs> and also. 
if any stories about RJ Lester are to be believed, we might have the toughest player in the Big 12 because he allegedly played a football game with two broken arms and yet still got two picks. Yeah, it's... It is absolutely hilarious. Um, just that story about RJ Lester. I mean, you look up RJ Lester, uh, like like if you Google it, the first article that you'll find is a newspaper from the Times Record, and like the first quote from his coach. This is a little, this is a little bit different than what you were saying, Ace, but uh, it's a quote from his coach talking about how he thinks that RJ Lester has a higher ceiling. Uh, than anybody that he's ever coached. And he's coached 20 defensive backs to D1 and five defensive backs to the NFL, including James Butler, Deion Grant, Trey Norwood, who have all been NFL starters. So that uh, says a lot. And it also raises the question, why is this guy unrated? By three of the four major sites, I, I guess two of the three, I, I don't feel the, no, I I don't don't feel the need to ESPN. Yeah, I'm not going to count on the ESPN unless they rate someone in our favor. I will count them, but <laughs> only then. Yes, but it, it does raise that question: like how how did he slip through the cracks? But yeah, that that element of toughness as well is something to be brought up as well. Just because he, I, I mean, playing through two broken hands is simply phenomenal. I mean, I don't think you could ever ask somebody to do that, but some players are just crazy enough to do something like that. And then you look at the second uh, article, uh, he also logs a 4-4-8, 40-yard dash. So not only is he tall, he also uh, is pretty quick, especially for his size, 4-4-8. Uh, and again, that's a 40 time that's probably only going to have time shaped off it yeah. for his time in college. Ideally, by the time he's on with college, he could get into the low 4-4s. Maybe better. I'm not sure how far along he is athletically, but I mean toughness, athleticism, and size. You know, that's he he checks all the boxes for the cornerback room. I think he at, at face value, you look at him, you're like, this isn't a guy I've heard of. I've not heard of this guy. He's not rated often. So what is there to like about him? But when you do digging. On him, he makes perfect sense for this team, and he could have a very, very high ceiling. Again, like these other two guys, who also both have very high athletic ceilings if they can take uh, the technical coaching that they'll get and really capitalize on it. But it remains to be seen. Yeah, and on the note of R.J. Luster, if you look at his offer sheet, the only scholarship offers he has are Tulane and Tulsa. And then you get this weird outlier of interest from LSU. <laughs> yeah. Which, it, oh, that's a, that's a big jump right there. It really, really is. It's, uh, it's so strange that, uh, that he flew under the radar uh, like, like he did. Um, I, I just, I don't get how he was able to, not be seen by other schools. Uh, I guess maybe just not doing their homework. Um, maybe I just missed them, but like, I, I'm, I'm a little dumbfounded at it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm happy for yeah, us. Cause, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. Because we, we have someone here who has, I think all big 12 corner potential written all over him. And 
Um, I mean, I think you could be in the Julius Brent's pipeline here in terms of uh, career timeline, although he's coming straight to K-State instead of transferring in. But yeah. We shall see. Yeah. So I, I just before we move on to the last little bit of football news, I the cornerback room, especially for this class, is it looks juicy because it's Kanigel Thomas, Donovan McIntosh, and now RJ Lester. You could field um, a whole nickel defense of corners with those three guys. Well, I got two. that would require us to use three corners instead of three safeties. You know, that's a that's a variable I had not considered, Ace. <laughs> <laughs> but if we ever, for some reason, decided to run two safety instead of three safety, then we got Kanigel Thomas. But we can plug and play Kanigel Thomas at a few different spots, probably. Yeah. But yeah, the last bit of football news to go over is actually a note about attendance. So we know that the first game of the year is going to be against South Dakota. And, you know, we'll all be very excited to refill the bill and have just this, this feeling of football being back, which I think we're down to what, like 35 days total is the first game? Oh, it's it's something like that. It's not very long. Yeah, because I know it's it was 40 days, like two days ago for K-State yeah. South Dakota. The day this airs will be 36 days. Okay. That was close. But the yeah. second game on the schedule is apparently already down to standing room only tickets. And that is the K-State MU matchup, which is a matchup that I've been very excited for. And it seems like the entire fan base is very excited for it as well. And there's so many storylines going into this. It being standing room only already two months before the game is played. The Manning recruiting battle and how that ended up. Watching Drinkwitz lose, which as someone who watches MU, I still enjoy watching Drinkwitz lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, then just at the end of the day, it's just two old Big 12, Big 8 rivals uh, going at each other. Uh, yet again, after a uh, eleven-year hiatus, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of storylines playing into this game, and I, I'm happy to see tickets sell out this quickly, because um, that signals to me that there's rejuvenated fan interest across the board, and I, I'm excited for that because last year, for the most part, attendance was pretty solid. I thought yeah. uh, with a few games I thought were particularly good, like Iowa State, um, OU had pretty good attendance as well. Um, the first game generally has good attendance too. Um, but yeah, I'm, we haven't had a sellout since pre-COVID, I believe. So it, it's good to, at the very least, sell out uh, the seats. I'm sure some of these will go to the secondary market, but yeah. uh, at least they're they're selling out from K-State right now. And uh, I'm I'm a very happy about that the proud fan moment, um, which I, this is a probably a, a collision of excitement for the team being high, ending last season on a high note, uh, and the high expectations, uh, playing an old rival, uh, some bad blood online between these two schools, and just general excitement about football. Um, so it's, it's probably a big combination of factors, but I'm just happy. Uh, to uh, to see people as interested in the game. 
Uh, looking forward to it. This is going to be one of the more anticipated games uh, for K-State and home non-conference in recent memory. So uh, hopefully it's going to be a, a raucous and violent environment, not towards people, but towards, uh, the, towards the players on the field. Please don't attack people. So. <laughs> Connor's calling for us to be Colorado fans. <laughs> no, I made a disclaimer. I am not responsible. <laughs> Yeah, you know, all the cats are not responsible for any damage. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much it for football. And now we can talk a little bit about catsketball. And finally, finally, the basketball coaching staff is fully rounded out with the addition of Rodney Perry from the AAU circuit. And yeah. I, it, I'm going to be, I'm just full disclosure, we knew this was happening. At pretty much like two weeks after Tang got hired, but it was paywalled information, so we couldn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, by the end, I think most people knew that this was going to be happening. Yeah. Like it kind of became an open secret by the end for anybody that paid like, like I'd say a moderate amount of attention to K State Twitter. I mean, Rodney Perry, in an interview like two weeks ago, said that he was taking the job at K State, but does nobody really care? Yeah, you didn't register. And, no, but Rodney Perry is – I've been convinced that he is a legitimately really good add to the coaching staff. I was pretty indifferent prior because I kind of thought it was mainly recruiting hire, but I wasn't aware of just how high his coaching upside was because this year he coached two high school-level teams as he coached the Mocan AAU team and then also the – a link year prep high school team. The link year prep high school team uh, went to the national uh, finals and they were the runner up in the Geico national high school tournament and the Mocan elite AAU team. They uh, went to the peach jam uh, national tournament and won that, which I think is like kind of like the AAU national championship or one of them or something like that. Yeah. But AAU for anybody that's remotely plugged in, not even plugged in, People that remotely pay attention to basketball recruitment, they they know the AAU is where all the talented players are going to be. And that's where you're going to get better competition at that level than high school for the most part, other than prep schools. And winning any sort of uh, AAU tournament or circuit, especially at the high Nike level, like Rodney Perry was doing, is very, very difficult. And Rodney Perry went out, and combined this year went like 60 and six on those two teams and was competing at the highest level of high school basketball and the highest level of AAU basketball. And clearly is bringing something to the table on the court. Uh, multiple, I think, uh, NBA players were competing about it. Trey Young, I think, said something uh, about uh, his ability to like have an offensive game plan for any defense and like be able to draw up something for anything which is really interesting that we're getting an offensive-minded coach here in Rodney Perry. Yeah, but especially given it, Tang. Tang, yeah, yeah, given that Tang is primarily known as a defensive-minded coach, although I'm not sure he'd like to be known as a defensive coach. I think he'd like to just be known as a coach. But maybe yeah. That's just kind of, that's know, just kind of coach. That's just coach speak. Yeah, so. I'd like to be known as a head coach. Uh, yes, cool. I, yeah. I, well, you are one, so. But yeah, I, I like the Rodney Perry hire. Um, it, it's definitely one that's gotten some national respect 
from what I can tell, it seems like there's been a lot of tweets in the last few days from uh, random basketball journalists that have really been marveling at the staff that Tang has put together. So if, if nothing else, he's had a really nice superhero team-up moment when putting together his staff. So even if they're not successful, at least we always will have tweets talking about how good our staff is. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I think that we're reaching a point where we can really start to feel more comfortable about the team, just seeing the way that the staff is coming together, the development of the athletes. Like Naquan Tomlin's already put on 12 pounds of muscle since he got to campus or something something like that. He, he went from like 190, it was probably, it wasn't 12, I think it was like 9. It was like 198 to 207 in like a month or something like that. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, it's pretty crazy the amount of development that's happening right now uh, outside of Bramlage and the ICE family basketball training facility. But do you have any other thoughts on Ronnie Perrier's? I mean, not really. All I can really say that I'm glad that the class, the coaching class, I suppose, (laughs) is complete because we have a ridiculous amount of recruiting power with Rodney Perry being on the AAU circuit, uh, Ulrich Maligi or uh, Maligi being himself, Jerome Tang being an excellent recruiter and being one of the, the tips of the spear for recruiting at Baylor, who's been one of the most has been a premier program these last couple of years and all the other names that i'm I'm not even mentioning uh, austin carpenter yeah dream uh, dowling dream dowling marco born mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it, it, it's a ridiculously good recruiting staff we just i'm excited to see it come together and that's kind of the next talking point that i forgot to put on the outline is uh head coach jerome tang of the doom tang clan decided that uh, he he was asked in an interview what his expectations were. And his expectations for this year was to make the NCAA tournament, something that we haven't done since 2019. Uh, yeah, 19. So, yeah, three will be four years at the time of the NCAA tournament. And, of course, you know, what else is he going to say? But mm-hmm. the way that he said it, and the way that the players such as Marquise Noel responded, it you can tell that there is already a pretty big amount of buy-in from the players and the coaching staff. And I still am cautiously optimistic about the season. I'm not sure if this roster is an NCAA tournament roster, barring one or two major additions. <clears throat> Subscribe to KSO, <laughs> but that's it. That's that we do a plug for them like every single episode. I'm not even sure they know who we are. <laughs> yeah, like, we, we don't get anything for that. <laughs> Gal- well, Drew Galloway does. Galloway, Galloway and Flano, I think, know who we are. But <clears throat> anyway, we ought to do a referral code. <laughs> yeah, I can do a referral code to KSO. But the just. I don't know what what are your thoughts uh, aside from you know the obvious of it just being you know coach speak what else is he gonna say? Um, I like it because this is as I recall I I might be totally off base with this. this isn't really something that Bruce really said publicly. I hate to like keep talking about Bruce, but like until we get the season going, that's going to be the best comparison we can get for anything. And until the season starts, that's we're still kind of 
in the Bruce era until we see Jerome Tame basketball on the floor. Like, even if, like, we are technically past it, we're still going to be thinking about it just because that was the most recent season played, you know, one way or another. But I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear him say it. I'm happy he was asked it. And I, I like his determination and the response. Of course, like you said, what else will we say? Like, like, is he going to be like, oh, I, I really hope we win one game this year. Like, that'd I be really, really hope swell. we make the NIT. Yeah, like, like that's not like an acceptable answer that you can say. But he, he's able to, to understand that he probably has a team that is a bubble team. I'd say right now, I, I'm comfortable putting them. I think that the, there's almost no chance this team wouldn't make the NIT. That's obviously not the goal. I would have them right now kind of in the middle to wrong end of the bubble. So by pushing to get onto the right side of the bubble, but not quite there yet. But again, we say that with us having not seen almost. (laughs) You've only seen two of the 11 guys on the roster play a game in a K-State uniform. So we, at the end of the day, we don't really know what we're getting right now. And we, don't even know this is going to be the final roster. So there, there's a there's a lot of unknowns here, so it's tough to project. So we're kind of doing the best we can. And a lot of that's just kind of based off of last season. I do think that objectively, I feel like this is a better roster than last year. Oh, no, it is. No, it is. Yeah, so so you, you apply that method of thinking, and you would think that this should be a tournament team. The only thing I think that has people – and myself included kind of holding back from declaring them a tournament team is just the lack of experience playing together a weaker non-conference schedule, which granted the conference schedule is going to be so strong that it hardly matters, especially when, you know, even though they're not getting good power fives in like Nebraska or Cal, they're still playing power fives. It's, um, I don't know. It's there. There's a lot of question marks around this team. But I, I'm regardless looking forward to going on this journey with them anyways. I'm optimistic. I think the fan base is really optimistic. I'm hoping to be able to get to some games. I really want to get to Nebraska and the Sprint Center. That's a game I think uh, I'll have a really good shot at making. And I'll try and get to some other ones, but we'll see. But I, uh, I, I'm i not quite ready to declare this a tournament team, so maybe – I don't know. That's me not being a good fan. I should like not be like one foot in, one foot out. But I don't really care. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be measured, and yeah. uh, I, I feel like I feel like that's a fairly objective take right now with the construction of the roster. But again, they may be the best show on the court. And honestly, they shouldn't lose a non-conference game this year. Like, if I'm being totally honest, like they there's not a non-conference game that they should lose unless they get a really bad draw at the. Uh, preseason tournament they're doing in like the Bahamas, I think. Yeah, I think it's the Bahama like classic or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That and a Florida turns out good, but I think Florida's gonna be like okay and it's a home yeah. game. But so if they can get like eight wins in the Big Twelve, like I think they're a lot, honestly. Yeah. And, and also it's funny you mentioned the the home versus road splits because that's also something that Jerome Tang <laughs> talked about is I believe the exact quote was they played like Tarzan at home, but they played like Jane on the road, which, okay, thanks, thanks, Tang. You're really good at turning a phrase. Like, he's right. I'm just really, I think it's hilarious that that's the phrase he used. 
Is, is he talking about the Batcats? No, <laughs> no, he's. <laughs> I mean, that was the story of the Batcats and the Catskiball team. I would honestly say that we played our our basketball our Catskiball team, uh, men's. That is, are we talking about men's? Yeah, we're so, talking about men's because this was in the context of Jerome Tang. Jerome Tang said that. I truly think that we played better on the road at times than we did at home. I mean, Which isn't like saying much, but. <laughs> Yeah, I because I mean we beat Texas when they were ranked on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, we nearly beat Tech. I think we played Tech's closest game that they had at home all season long, and then we beat Iowa State on the road in overtime, and uh, we should have beat Oklahoma State on the road. And I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering, but I seem to remember us having some good games. Although that might have just been the whole road dogs thing that they yeah. did. But, I mean, like, we played a few solid games at home, but, I mean, we got destroyed by Baylor at home and, and on the road. And we didn't play well at all against KU on the road, but I don't know. I'm not going to try and dig into that too much. I, I feel like the difference is probably negligible, honestly, yeah. on that. Not not enough for that. Maybe you were talking about the women's team. That would be true, actually. But speaking though. of, I, like, don't have it on the outline, but Jeff Minnie got extended through 2026. Yes, he did. I'd imagine that's a combination of – Consistently making postseason, advancing the postseason, and having good recruiting classes, which for a non-revenue sport that's not getting a ton of funding, it's going to be tough to ask for more. Yeah. But you still would like to see more with the amount of talent that's on these teams right now. But allegedly this year is the year. I, I think that this could really be the year for this women's basketball team. Not to like dive into that too much right now. That'll that get its own preview episode. Yeah. yeah, that's something that deserves to be talked about at a later date. But I, I'm very optimistic about this year's team, especially if some of the freshmen uh, coming in are able to contribute immediately. Tearing sides, Eliza Maupin. Yeah, especially Maupin. I, I, I think if Eliza Maupin can be really good, not even really good, just good. She just needs to be like a quality contributor, not even a starter. Like that could really change things. Just having a quality four, because we didn't, we never had a four last year. I felt like that was going that, that was like consistent yeah but yeah that's all the cats ball news and now we get to talk about baseball recruiting because i promised that we talk about it last week and these are both 2024 commits so you'll see them in two years playing for the bat cats or i guess technically three because the baseball season starts after the new year but you know maybe that's we're a- doing this a bit early but <laughs> So this podcast may not exist <laughs> whenever they're playing. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, now. Don't, don't <laughs> put that evil upon us. But the two new commits are first baseman AJ Avesco and shortstop uh, Tyler Smolinski. I believe Smolinski is from Gretna, Nebraska, which, fun fact, is the same high school as Gage Stenger, the former K-State commit. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to add there. I just thought it was fun. No, that's interesting, I think. It's also impressive that you remembered it. Yeah. I don't know. Gretna just stuck out to me for some reason. But both true. both of these players were rated 9.0s on Perfect Game, which is a draftable prospect for the MOB draft. So Pete Hughes, say what you will about him. He's still an excellent recruiter. And yeah, that that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah 
Um, not not a ton to add about him other than it's probably too early to get a good read on these guys, at least for us, because we are definitely not, at least me, I'm not a good evaluator of baseball no. talent Mm-mm. developing. Not me. Like, Mm-mm. Like, I, I don't know how much a fastball will develop in speed between, like, now and, like, their senior year of high school. Like, the only other thing I guess we can add about uh, Batcats recruiting is that one of their 2022 uh, commits was drafted and seems like they're going to be staying in the draft. Uh, DeAndre Jones, a first baseman, lefty, lefty, out of Manville, Texas, which is unfortunate. Um, but we still keep everybody else. It looks like I'm excited. We're keeping Elgin Bennett because he has like that 99.999, whatever percentile, uh, speed. speed. Yeah. Just really fast. You know, it'll all allow it. And <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm excited for that. I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying to temper my expectation for the back hats because last year we really got let down, which it felt like we were having a great season at times just because we played so well at home and those are the games we go to. But then like then the road like games did, would happen and we'd play horribly. Yeah. We should just ask the Big Twelve for a waiver to only play good at home because it hurts our feelings when we don't. Perfect. I think they'd allow it. I think, I think they'd, they'd allow, allow it. it. I think they'd I, I think I think that's a reasonable request on on our part. So yeah. We should just ask your Mark. He wants to be a forward thinking commissioner. What more <laughs> what is more forward thinking than changing your scheduling practices to something terrible? Uh, it's not it's only terrible for everyone else. It's great for us. That is true. It's uh, that is great for us. We honestly push for a big twelve title. <laughs> Sacrifice the needs of the many for the needs of the few. <laughs> or in this case, that. the needs of the one. Spock really hated that. <laughs> you yeah. you have just angered the Enterprise Bridge crew, sir. So shame, shame. But good afternoon, anybody. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it on baseball recruiting. But we still have to talk about the Batcats a little bit, and that is two additional players who were not drafted, but are nevertheless going to be joining major league organizations, or at least their farm systems. The first is Connor McCullough going to the Chicago White Sox system. And second is Christian Rubeck to the Dodgers. Let's start with Connor McCullough. Because when he wasn't pitching with a back injury, he was probably our best pitcher. (laughs) He was. I think he was our most consistently effective pitcher before his back deleted itself. And honestly, he probably gets drafted if he doesn't have a back issue. And yeah. I think once he heals, this could be kind of a steal for the White Sox. The only thing with McCullough is he never really had one pitch, I felt like, that was phenomenal. Like, his spin rates were never great. His speed wasn't incredible. He's just very effective at locating, generally. And he also had a pretty – I guess if you did have one good pitch that was, like, above the rest, it was probably his curveball. I felt like his only consistent pitch by the end. And I'm going to miss McCullough, especially because we also lose Blake Adams to the draft. And it it really hurts to lose your top two starters after you already were kind of having issues with pitching depth. So hopefully there's a plan there. Jackson Wentworth is the plan. I really hope so. I We really need him healthy next year, or it's going to be a long season unless we can figure something out. Uh, and then, yeah, losing Rubeck hurts more than I thought it would because he had a – you can't have a much more rough start to the season than Christian Rubeck had. 
And he, uh, by the end, had really kind of figured it out by moving to the pen. He kind of took the Carson Seymour arc of last year. Yeah. Except he honestly started worse, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, he did. But it was really Rubeck, tough to be Christian Rubeck. <laughs> yeah. Rubeck, he had an excellent outing against Virginia Tech that really showed a lot of promise, just a ton of movement on all of his pitches. He was locating better than he had all year. And he's shown high velo potential as well. He's nearly hit 100 a few times. And uh, uh, he's got incredible spin rate on a lot of his pitches. So he's got exactly what every MLB team wants. So if anything, I'm a little surprised he didn't get selected late. But nevertheless, good for him going to the Dodgers. Really going to miss him in the bullpen. I think he was due for a really big season. But uh, best of luck to him regardless. Yeah. I Of the two, both really hurt. Because right now, what's left of our pitching staff that I, I can remember off the top of my head, Ty Rule, Herman Fajardo, Tyson Neighbors, Jackson Wentworth, Is that it? Um, I think so. I know we got at least one or two transfers in that were pitchers. Yeah, the the D three guy who's like the best yeah. player in D three. Yeah, which who knows how that will translate to our level, but yeah, fingers fingers crossed. But yeah. That's pretty much it for the actual news. So now we can get into the wacky segment of the week. Now, we always have to provide a little bit of context for the longer ones. There have been specifically within the, let's just say a certain brewing company within Manhattan. I can say the name. They're not going to care. The Manhattan Brewing Company came out with, I believe it's at this point, two IPAs to celebrate different coaches. The first was to celebrate Jerome Tang, and the second was to celebrate Coach Connor Riley, the offensive line coach. So with those two drinks in mind, what if you were to make a drink, specifically an IPA, or no, let's just go general drink, because I don't know enough about IPAs <laughs> to, to really speak with authority there. If you're going to make a drink representing a coach, who is the coach and what is the drink? You go first. I'll go first. Okay. So my immediate first response with this was you almost have to do something for Taylor Bratt, right? You almost had to do something with him because I feel like at this point for the more in tune of K-State fans, he's kind of become the the face of, of K-State, at least in several different circles. I mean, obviously you still have Chris Kleiman, who's the head coach, but whenever you start thinking about it a little more and you go one layer deeper, you, you get Taylor Bratt. And Taylor Bratt strikes me as someone who most certainly would be down to have a drink named after him. So I got to thinking, it has to in some way have an ungodly amount of caffeine to match the energy that that man has. So I was thinking maybe it would be like something based off of, I don't know, an Irish coffee or a Jamaican coffee. You it know? Sounds like you just want to make a vodka Red Bull here, man. I was going to make a vodka Red Bull, but make it purple. 
Thanks for spoiling uh, it, pal. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize you were actually going to do that. I didn't mean to spoil it. I didn't realize that's what you're actually going to do. Because I was originally, I was going to talk through my process of how I wanted it to be like an Irish coffee. But then I thought about like, uh, that's probably too complex. And I'm not sure if that matches the tone. So honestly, just make like a purple vodka Red Bull. <laughs> I'm I'm very sorry. I, I didn't, and call it. I didn't mean to like s- bring it the Catsbringer. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. It's man. all good, man. Well, I you you have the floor now. <laughs> I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, it's a Chris uh, Kleiman beer called Chris Ryman. And that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> like, what flavor would it be? Like, uh, what kind of like flavor would you want to go for? Um, that's a great question. And considering I've been thinking about this for maybe thirty seconds, I I couldn't say so far. Um, because I forgot to check the wacky segment before we started the episode. But <laughs> well, you still call so, mine. <laughs> I did. That is true. Um. I don't know. What what would be a good Chris Kleiman beer like flavor? Because I feel like Chris Kleiman wouldn't care personally. No, I don't, but I don't what, think but, he would care. So maybe it'd be very funny if they just took like Bush, Bush Light, Light and just <laughs> called it just called it Chris Ryman and just like marked it up and we're like, yeah, this is like a whole new beer that we made. It's really just Bush Light. Yeah. I think Chris Klein. I think Chris Klein would think that's funny, and that would be like what makes him do it. Yeah, I feel like he'd get some enjoyment out of it. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like Gene Taylor would just like sit in the corner and laugh like the whole time <laughs> watching people drink it. Be like, wow, this is like really good. It's like I know something they don't. <laughs> As Gene Taylor is also sipping his Chris Ryan because he probably actually is just thoroughly enjoying it. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's a. It's either Bush or Bud Light that I remember hearing that Gene Taylor is a, a fan of. I think they mentioned on Bosco's Boys one time through like one of their interviews with him. I don't remember. I'm spitballing here, but we filled it's, in it's, our two our two mentions that we always do in an episode. We mentioned KSO and we mentioned Bosco's Boys. Yeah, we're just giving out free ads. So <laughs> we need to start doing like Aggieville Alley yeah. Cat bingo cards. <laughs> More like the ad the ad. Well, I can't do Advil, Advicats. I can't do Advil, Addicats. Yep, that's there. Better. You go. I was trying to put a, <laughs> I was trying to put a V in there that really didn't need to be. So, <laughs> but yeah, that pretty much does it for this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us at Twitter at Aggieville A-Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. We got a very, very cool email yesterday, uh, not yesterday, but for last week's episode telling us about the history of uh, Gerald Ford Stadium, which is SMU Stadium, which is not named after the president. Mm-hmm. Learn something new. It's not actually the president. Yeah, it's a it's a lawyer. Yeah, it's a lawyer attorney. Very very rich attorney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more that the more you know. Yeah. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edward zero zero. I'm at Connor Boutsor, capital C capital B. 
And if you want to support the show in a financial sense, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats and Dune Tang Clan. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.